This is Cody Smith, and you're listening to the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. Today, I want to share with with you guys pretty much the, the number one thing that has helped to make my group training programs effective over the past several years. And there's been many iterations of this, but ultimately this one thing is going to help you guys to take your group programming to the next level, right? So if you are a functional fitness coach, a CrossFit coach, a gym owner, and you are listening to this, you are going to get so much value out of it. Now, before we do, as always, guys, we're going to jump into the content, but I need your help. I need you to hit pause on the show right now. Make sure to leave on iTunes the show a five-star rating and review. That's ultimately how we move up the charts and get into the ears of more people just like yourself. The second thing you could do would be to take a screenshot on your phone, post it on your Instagram story, and then go ahead and tag me in it. I am at Coach Cody Smith on Instagram. Um, The reason why I always ask you guys to do that is because it gives me an opportunity to connect with you, the listener of the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. And ultimately, uh, I like engaging with you guys inside of the direct messages and answering your questions and more or less just being helpful to you. Uh, And then I always try to make sure that I share it on my story just to show you guys some love. So again, that five-star rating review, so helpful for getting the show in more ears of people just like you. And then that screenshot helps me to connect with you guys who listen to the show. So like I said, I wanted to share pretty much the number one thing that has helped me to make my group programming that much more effective. You know, I can think of every time I would group program in the past, I would really struggle with how to make an effective program for everybody, right? Especially because at best, I just have this thought that at best, a group training program is going to serve 80 to 85% of people in the room. Now, and that's if you have your, you know, if you have everything dialed in and you've got the correct principles and you're paying attention to science and, and doing the best you can to make it fun for people to kind of, you know, want to even come and do the training for the day. And that becomes a challenge. And, you know, recently I have had a couple new team members on my team that have essentially wanted to get into programming for the group. And, and what they found is that when you go from training the individual and making a program for them versus making a program for more people, it takes more time. You have to put more thought into it because you got to make sure that you cover all of your bases. And, you know, the other day we sat down and we started kind of going through essentially what I use to to make sure that I am serving the people and, and giving the, the best possible programming for them. And what I essentially decided I'm going to start calling it is just simply the programming lens, Right. So if you think about that for a second, a programming, you know, a a lens like in a glass, like in a a set of glasses helps you to kind of see. Right. So what, what I mean by saying that with the programming lens is that it essentially gives you a set of eyes to look through to be more clear, to have, you know, a better, you know, end result, better clarity as to where you are trying to take the particular program. Now, when I say group programming lens, it helps you to make sure that you're making the best possible and, and you know, most effective training for uh, you know a group of people. Okay, so as I go through with this, there is essentially, let me see here, one, two, three, four different steps that you need to essentially walk through to make sure that you're you know you're painting the best possible picture for the programming as possible. And I hope that you guys can use this and you can implement it. And ultimately, like as I was going through the training with my coaches, you could almost see like the light bulbs were turning on that they really started to understand how 
looking through this particular lens can make programming for a group that much more effective. Now, as I'm going through this, remember this one thing, right? I like to call it the science to fun continuum. Okay, so if you think about that for a second, there are coaches out there that I consider program a lot of fun, right? So that's high intensity training, very hard workouts, maxing out all the time. That kind of stuff is fun for people inside of, you know, working out and programming. Now on the other side of the spectrum, you got coaches that 100% adhere to a scientific based approach, which is great. We know that the more close you are to science, the more likely you can forecast results for your clientele and for the people that you are taking care of. But with that fun to science continuum, the more you go towards the science side and the less fun it is, the more likely you are to kind of lose people's interest along the way. And we know that at the end of the day, adherence to any training program is going to go a lot further than how perfect it is, right? So remember, as I kind of go through these, this framework for the programming lens that we're always playing the game of the fun to science continuum. Okay. So step one with this programming lens, you have to make sure that you know who you are serving inside of the training program, right? So typically when I program for people, I will essentially put them into three groups of different avatar avatars that I have in my mind. Number one is going to be your beginning athlete. Now I have an entire spiel on the beginner, intermediate, advanced, and how to group them in a, in a, in a past podcast episode. And, and I believe it is labeled or the name of that podcast is, um, gosh, the, the name is escaping me right now. I think it is knowing how much to work out. So if you listen to that episode, I've got a full rundown on how to know how to classify people or if you're uh, you know, a client or a just an athlete coming to this podcast and, and just trying to gain knowledge and gain education, go to that episode to know where you kind of stand as to, you know, what I would consider you as far as an avatar. Okay. So we've got beginners, we've got intermediates, and then we've got advanced people. Okay. So beginners, just a, a small kind of overview. Beginners typically are what I would consider anybody who has done formal training for anything between zero in two years. I would classify you as a beginner. Now, stepping up from that, you would run into what I would call an intermediate athlete or client. That would be anywhere between two and four years. And then advanced, I would say four years plus. Now, this is not exact science, guys, so don't get married to this one concept. But I'm just simply saying that that is a general idea of how I group and I classify people. Sure, are there you know, people that come to you within six months and they're ready to do the intermediate style training or advanced style training practices. Absolutely. There are people that adapt faster than others or just learn movement at a higher rate than others. In those cases, obviously you would step them up, but generally speaking, this is, this is the way that I would group people. And it's a good basic way to think about it. So beginner, intermediate, advanced. Now, if you stack them over top of each other, just you could go to a, a sheet of paper, you could go to an inner, you know, a notepad, a, really anything you can write on a dry erase board and write them over top of each other, right? Beginner, intermediate, advanced. On the right side of that, I want you to draw a straight line up and down and then put an arrow in the top and an arrow at the bottom. Now, when you think about making a workout program for a, a group of people, right? Anywhere between 10, 20, I don't know how many people you're specifically programming for by class. Or if you want to look at this, if you're, you're programming for a gym or your gym, 
inside of that beginner, intermediate, advanced, with the arrow to the right, I want you to draw a dot where you would consider most of the people you're writing that programming for, where they land on that spectrum. Now, what I want you to remember is that in most cases, you are going to be serving in a group fitness model. You are typically going to be serving, I would say, higher level beginning people and mostly intermediate. I'll say that again. Higher I would say the higher side of the beginner spectrum and then mostly intermediates. That is going to be the 80 to 85% of the population of the people that you are making a group program for at best. Now, you may be thinking, but Cody, that's not true. I've got brand new people. But Cody, I've got people at the highest level that I need to take care of. I'm sure you do. But I'm telling you that in most cases, that is the person that you are writing a group design for. Okay. Now, once you've got clear on that, you have to remember the next thing moving forward is that when you make a training program for those people, here's where that 80 to 85% kind of mindset comes from. When you are making a workout program for that group of people on the high side of the spectrum, you're going to be completely missing it. And then on the low side of the spectrum, you're also going to be completely missing it. So if you are a person that is going to be coaching this type of workout programming, or you're going to be handling the day-to-day the -day operations of how that workout is executed, it is up to the coach to make the deviations from there inside of their progressions. Again, I've done a movement progression for movement pattern episode. That was, I believe, the two episodes ago from this one. Check that episode out because I go into how you can take this basic framework of programming and you can essentially tailor it and personalize it to any, really any crowd or any population of people you're seeing, but that would be up to the coach. Now, here's the thing, is that on the feedback slash criticism side of the house, the beginning client and the advanced client in my, in, in my career of coaching and in my experience, typically are going to be the most vocal about what they are experiencing. Right? But you have to remember that if you are serving most of the people and missing some, you are doing the best possible job you can if we're thinking and keeping in mind that at best, 80 to 85% of the people are the ones you are serving. Okay, And that's completely okay. That's something that you have to be okay about as the programmer because you are serving the most of the population you can and you are underserving the smallest percentage. Now, you may disagree with me and have another way of thinking, but I'm here to tell you that that is the best possible approach that I have personally found in my 10 years of running a gym, coaching other coaches, and mentoring other gym owners. Okay, so that's the first step of the framework is decide who are you writing the programming for? Where are they at in their journey through fitness? Okay, now moving on from there. And again, this, this is you're doing all of this before you write your first ever workout in your program for that week or that month or that day, however you program, I don't know. In my opinion, you probably should go week by week, but however you're going to approach writing a workout program or writing a single workout, this is, the, the, this is where you start. Now from there, in a group setting, start to write out what are the goals of those particular people in that group. Okay, now take it a step further though. I don't just stop at the particular goals. I actually want to think of their goals as problems. So what are the problems that most of the clients that you are writing for that workout have? So also, I'm literally going to share the exact training that I, I kind of went through with my coaches and some of our 
thought processes and some of the brainstorming that we did as we were talking about this programming lens. Our population is typically focusing on, you know, the problem of their body image. They either want to lose some body fat or they want to gain some muscle, right? They have a particular vision or image in their head of their body that they want to get to and they're not there yet. Other problems they have is they're not strong enough. They want to be a little bit stronger. Another thing is they want more energy. We know that training brings more energy, right? It, it helps the endorphins and the hormones in your body and helps you to feel better, right? So we know our clients want more energy. They want more confidence, right? That kind of goes with the body image thing a little bit. They want to be more capable. They want more flexibility. And they want to get out of pain, right? Some of them have, you know, bad backs, bad knees, bad hips, ankle issues, shoulder issues. These are all things that they want to improve upon. They are their problems, all right? So I hope that just from those two steps alone, you can start to see how potent this approach to programming for a group can be. Okay, so where are they at in their journey? What type of person are you programming for? The next thing are what are their problems? And again, we did this on a whiteboard and we kind of discussed it and talked it out. Ultimately, you can do it however you want. But I want you to really think about those first two pieces in order first. Where are they at? Who are they? What are their problems? Once you write all those things out, then and only then can you move into the next part. So then I want you to write down interventions slash solutions. Now, what type of things can you provide in your programming? This is where you essentially start to create your toolbox. Like what are the specific tools you need to build what they, you know, the programming that they need to get better, to get results, to get solutions to their problems. For us, based off of those particular problems, here's just some of our brainstorming. They need to do accessory work. Why accessory work over really heavy compound movements? Well, we know that accessory work is more joint friendly. Less loading typically means, means less wear and tear on the person's body. Okay, so when we think accessory work, we think isolation movements. We think single leg work. We think dumbbells, kettlebells, things like bent over rows, single arm dumbbell pressing, maybe some dumbbell floor presses. Those, those type of movements to where the loading is going to be a little lower and allow them and will allow them to work on their weak points. So then we started writing down all these interventions. Like I said, an accessory work was the first thing. The second thing is we probably need to use tempo work. So when I heard tempo work, I asked why. Why is tempo work important? Because I wanted my, I wanted my coaches to think out loud and to brainstorm into why you would use tempo. And here's what we came up with, more control for the coach. I know as in, for coaches that I coach or for clients that I coach online and that my team work with, we use tempo because it allows us to control repetition speed without us being there, right? Because in the online space, you're not, you're not next to your client as they're working out. So how can you provide control as a coach? We know that it increases time under tension, right? The, one of my favorite quotes that I've ever heard was, muscles are stupid, all they understand is tension. So when we provide more tension, the muscles know that they have to grow and become stronger and be more effective to handle the tension that they are experiencing, right? That's part of our general adaptation syndrome. From there, we know that we can get better mind-muscle connection through using tempo, right? We can allow our clients to connect to the muscles that they're using in particular movements. The only way that you can do that is through slower muscle muscular contractions. From there, we know that it's safety, 
When you tell a person to slow down, again, it gives them an opportunity to think about what they're doing. They become more efficient and they move safer as people, less injury rates based from your programming. From there, we want to do more with less. That's why tempos are effective because I, I kind of told this story of a person that came to me with hip and knee issues and they wanted to do the squat. And I asked them, well, what, so what about the squat makes you want to do it? And they're like, I, I just, I want to get stronger. And I'm like, what if I told you that you don't have to get stronger? And they're like, well, doesn't the back squat make you strong? And I said, sure, it makes you strong. But in my opinion, unless your sport is the back squat, you don't necessarily have to do the back squat. There are other things to help you to get quote unquote stronger, right? So again, think about this, unless some of your clients are in a particular sport in which a certain movement has to happen for them, then they're not specifically tied to anything because we know that volume and progressive overload and tension increasing over time is all that matters for a person to get stronger or to build muscle. Okay, so then when I talk about saying things, when I say something as simple as doing more with less, you know, and I, and I know some studies kind of counter the, the thought on tempo, but I'll tell you just through working with hundreds and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of clients over the past several years that tempo is something that is a very effective tool to get muscle, to get stronger, and to perform better. So more with less is why they would use tempos. From there, the next thing that they kind of spouted out was strength EMOMs. Right? So strength, every minute-on-the-minute style workouts are great in the group setting because it allows you to work on that accessory work for, the, for them to do resistance training. But for a lot of people, you only have 60 minutes to train. So when we have 60 minutes to train and we want to have them go through some sort of strength work first, they're going to feel, they're going to, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I, I have ran into several situations where there's maybe two lifts inside of a 60-minute class period and they will do you know, let's say I've got deadlifting and some dumbbell lunges as the accessory work for that day. But with the deadlift, when left to their own, you know, we want our clients to talk and to communicate and to spend time with each other. But sometimes the talking can get carried away to the point where they won't do the sets in a timely manner and they'll do rest periods that are four and five minutes long when they're not needed. And next thing you know, you've lost your ability to go through the accessory work because you have another class waiting in 15 minutes. So, with that being said, when you do a strength EMOM and you, you select the correct exercises, it gives the clients an opportunity to go through a strength training regimen and stay moving the entire time. Now, and I'm not talking like every minute on the minute doing some, you know, two lifts and making them rush and you get a metabolic effect. I'm saying maybe something along the lines of every two minutes do two different exercises. Make sure you're sticking to a rep scheme where it allows them to get the work done and give themselves a little rest every time. Maybe every two minutes and 30 seconds, maybe every three minutes, but keep them moving in a manner that they execute on their lifts and they can get through it in a timely manner. From there, we talked about aerobic work. Now, I, I kind of cut into a little tangent from here and I went in a deep dive on energy systems and, and why aerobic work is more beneficial. But just know, I'm not going to kind of go into that here, but just know that aerobic work is far more beneficial to a person's body hormones and, and just cognitive function than any sort of other training uh, other than resistance training. So we use aerobic work anywhere, you know, between five and 20, in some cases, 30 minutes where we will work, take them through aerobic training. Now, we also use intervals, and we're trying to teach sustainability and how to pace appropriately, okay? From there, 
mobility is an intervention that would help to solve problems, and then proper cooldowns and stability work. So as a programmer, keeping in mind that you're working with higher level beginners all the way to intermediates, you know their list of problems, and you have all of these different types of interventions, now you can start to create a framework to your programming, a template, if you will, as to how to move forward with those solutions. Now, circling back, remember the fun to science continuum. That is so important to make sure that you stay in line with giving a program that is going to be results-based, but also giving a program that will be fun enough to perform to get those results that you're hoping they get. Okay, so now that you've got interventions, this is what I call building the box or building the perimeter. You know what you need to give them for solutions. What are some contradictions? Okay, you've got intervention, interventions, now give contradictions. Contradictions are going to be things that directly go against giving them the goal, their goals. So this is where you start to paint the perimeter so that you can build your programming inside of the box or the perimeter. Okay, so here are just some contradictions or antagonists that we wrote down. Lung burners daily. Okay, lung burners, are, that's your anaerobic, your high capacity, high intensity stuff, right? Your quote unquote fun. Now, you can do that sometimes, but you should not do it 100% of the time. From there, we discussed overloaded lifts with no intention. That means maxing out for the sake of maxing out. If you have no purpose to max out or you have no reasoning or intention behind why you would do a particular max out, we know that submaximal work, 70 to 80% most of the time, is by far the best and most appropriate training to get somebody where they want to be in the safest and most efficient way. So submaximal work, we know that that is good. So overloaded lifts with no intention, aka maxing out all the time, is not effective. Pattern overuse, right? So that is squats every day, pushing overhead every day, taking a barbell and taking it off the ground and over your head every day, any sort of Olympic lift every day. When we overuse patterns, we know that we get overuse injuries. Now, this goes directly counter to how I learned programming years ago. At my first CrossFit Level 1 seminar, and I've, I've had to recertify once now, at my first CrossFit Level 1 seminar, I went in and they gave us a template inside of our CrossFit Level 1 book that was a CrossFit, a, a template approach. And inside that template, they basically classified workouts into weightlifting, gymnastics, or monostructural right? They gave you three categories, but they didn't talk about the patterns that are inside of those categories. Now, as I started to implement this in my programming, I started to notice people felt kind of achy. And I said, well, on one day I did a weightlifting element. On the next day I did a gymnastics and a monostructural and a weightlifting element. On the next day I did a weightlifting and monostructural. I was using the different categories but I wasn't paying attention to the patterns and people started to get injured and people started to get beat up and people weren't getting results. So then I had to circle back around and say, well, what is missing here? And that's kind of when I discovered movement patterns and I've been using it ever since. Okay. Again, two episodes ago, I went into a deep dive on a movement progression for movement pattern approach. It's hands down been, you know, another one of those highly beneficial things that I've added into my program design. From there, outside of pattern overuse, Circling back to the fun science thing, contradictions of giving this of the solutions we want to provide is quote unquote boring shit. All of the things that we know is going to be so boring that nobody's going to do. 
Now, that doesn't mean you can't make something that's boring. We know that the more, in most cases, the more boring something is, the more beneficial, the more results-driven it is going to be. But again, if it's only results-driven, it's probably not as fun, okay? So we don't want to use boring shit all the time. Now, the last thing we kind of discussed as we went through this brainstorm as a team was overuse of dynamic contractions. Okay, so first, before you, you start to question what I mean by that, let's, let's go right into classifying what I mean. So a dynamic contraction are the things that are high power output producing, right? So in the functional fitter, functional fitness person listening to this or the CrossFit person listening to this, when we say dynamic contractions, we're talking things like kipping pull-ups, kipping handstand push-ups, barbell thrusters, power cleans, power snatches. You could also throw in dumbbell or kettlebell uh, of any of those Olympic lifting variations inside of that too. Things that are going to be moving more fast, power output, dynamic driven, kipping pull-ups, things like that, doing those all the time or a high percentage of the time is going to cause issues and directly contradict all of those solutions to the people's goals to the people that you're serving. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, I'm not saying you cannot do that. I'm just saying that the majority of your training should be the exact opposite of a dynamic contraction. Now, if a person is, again, their sport or their performance driven or anything of that spectrum, sure. Dynamic contractions are what you need to do sometimes and do them frequently because it's part of their sport. They're meant to be powerful and to be more athletic. But again, if you are a person that is just programming for the type of avatars that we're talking about based off of this example of the framework that I'm sharing with you guys, then they are not nearly as beneficial. Okay, so you guys, this was a really cool training that I did with my team. And again, a lot of times the podcast here is just for me to kind of document things that I'm experiencing and to have one guest that I want to talk to. Um, I don't do this for any sort of, you know, crazy outreach for clients or anything like that. Although if you, again, if you want to work with the, the team that we have going at Virtuous and you aren't in the Silverdale, Washington area, and you're looking to take your training to the next level, then sure, we have a program and a coach that is waiting to meet you. But if you're just coming to this to learn, then I hope you got something out of this. Okay, so I'll kind of go through the framework one more time with you guys. And then um, by all means, if you have any questions, reach out to me. You can catch me on social media. You can follow up with my email that is in the show notes here. Um, I'm an open book and always willing to help you guys. So again, first step of this programming lens. Who is the person that you are serving? Where are they in their journey? The next part, step two, what are their problems and or goals that they are, you know, their problems that they are trying to solve? Step number three, what are the interventions or solutions that you can use to, you know, what are the interventions you can use to provide solutions to the client? And lastly, what are the contradictions or antagonists that will keep them from their goals that you would need to stay away from inside of your programming? Now, once you have laid out and you have brainstormed this entire thing and you have that kind of, for me, I I went through this entire process by myself probably years ago, and I just kind of keep a Google Doc, and every once in a while, I'll rewrite it in one of my journals just to remind myself. When you know who you are serving and, and, and their goals and the solutions that you want to provide, then you just simply pull out of that toolbox and you start to program exactly what that person needs. So you guys, this is the programming lens framework. 
Um, this has been tried and true, something we've been working and using for the past five to six years. It has been a game changer in how we provide solutions to our clients' problems, and I hope that it benefits you as well. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, you guys, and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today and tuning into the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. I release episodes every single week. You can find me at Coach Cody Smith in the gym at Virtuous Fitness WA on Instagram to stay up to date with all things Virtuous Fitness. Before you go, head over to iTunes and give this show a rating and review. That is how we grow this show and make it even more impactful for you. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.